Well, welcome to Christ's Journey. We gather once again as the Christ Journey family to seek God's blessing and to invite his truth to bring us closer to free, to full freedom in the blessing that he has for us. Now today, uh, I want to tell you the story about a story from Walter Abercrombie. Until his father's dying days, Walter Abercrombie never had the close relationship with his dad that he really wanted. He remembers his dad as being a great provider, an outstanding leader, but someone who rarely showed his emotions. And uh, Walter, in his younger years, you might remember him, was a star running back for the Baylor Bears at Baylor University in Waco, Texas. He also was the number one draft pick of the Pittsburgh Steelers for whom he played professional football for years. Now, why am I telling you his story? Because last week I read an article that he recently wrote entitled, It Is Good. And I wanna share the story in it that, uh, that he shared. A friend sent it to me, but I have something else to you after, it's a great story, but I have something else for you after the story. Walter, at the first time that he told the story, was talking with someone about the value of faith and how important it is to hold on to your faith in the midst of troubles. And these are troubling times, aren't they? Well, here's the story. A powerful African king had a close friend with whom he had grown up who was known for always having the most positive attitude. So no matter the situation, good or bad, the friend saw the positive and then would say, it is good, it is good. Well, one day they were out hunting and the friend was loading the guns for the king and then handing them to the king to fire. Well, something went wrong in the loading and when the king pulled the trigger, it, something happened and it blew his thumb off. And the friend, in characteristic fashion, remarked, oh my king, it is good. And the king shouted, no, it is not good. And in a rage, had him arrested and then thrown into the dungeon where he stayed. A year later, the king was touring a region in Africa known to be unsettled wilderness and was taken captive by a tribe of cannibals. They uh, tied his hands, they bound him to the stake, they surrounded him with wood, but before they set fire to the wood, they were examining him and discovered that his thumb was missing. And being superstitious, they never ate anyone who was not whole. So the cannibal chief let him go. And upon his return home, he immediately went to the dungeon where his friend was being held to release him. And he said, oh, you were right. It was good that my thumb was blown off. And then he told him about the ordeal that he had just been through and how he so regretted sending him to prison. And the king said, it was bad, bad for me to do this to you, my friend. And his friend said, no, my king. It is good. And the king said, well, what do you mean? What could possibly be good about spending a year in a dungeon? And his friend said, well, if you had not sent me to prison, I would have been with you and they would have eaten me alive. For you see, my king, I have all my fingers. So it is good. Good story, huh? about why faith matters in times of trouble, even when it doesn't look so good, and then why we never stop believing that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. Romans 8, 
28. But I said I had something else for you besides a great story. I need to tell you who it was that reminded Walter Abercrombie of that story that he now retells after so long forgotten. It was his 23-year-old son. His son who remembered his dad telling him that story when he was a young man. I mean, uh, not yet a teenager, 10, 11, 12, no longer a child, but, but not yet grown up. I mean, he was in early adolescence, sometimes called tweenagers. When uh, his mind is open and he's hungry and, and puberty begins. Now, anybody who's had a preteen knows they cannot be parented in the same way that you do a small child. They are at a new level in their development with different needs with, uh, to be addressed and different potentials to be considered. There are identity needs. There are community needs. There are purpose and meaning needs like this story speaks to, which is probably why it landed and stuck in this young man's brain. Puberty means a whole new world is unfolding. A new level of uh, cognitive ability arises and with questions to be answered like, who am I? That's an identity question. Where do I fit in? Where do I belong? That's a community question. And then what am I here for? Purpose and meaning questions, destiny questions. Now in earlier stages, a parent can settle a lot of concerns for a child simply by saying, uh, because I'm the mama, or because I'm your daddy, or because I said so, that's why. And yet now, at this level, that tends not to work the same way anymore. Parents find that out pretty quick. Hormones bring new growth challenges, new opportunities, and preteens are just beginning to go through many of the physical and emotional changes that adolescence brings. I mean, this is that time period where the wonder years transition into the wonder what happened years. Oh my goodness. Teen years can be turbulent. And, uh, and full of emotional drama, full of volatility. I mean, mood swings that can have you exhilarated in one moment and then discourage the next. Feelings can be so intense and then unpredictable and flash. And then conversations at this time, though difficult, absolutely needed. Conversations about what? Well, about sex, about sex, and about... Uh, Pressure, the pressures of life in the cruel world that is now rising. More about that next message. For today, counselors say that expected behaviors for preteens can include fights with siblings as they sort out their differences of opinion and their conflicts, um, increased peer influence because they want to feel accepted and valued by others. So to be part of the group, they do things that they wouldn't otherwise do. It's like friends are suddenly more important than breathing or eating. And it can also be a time that involves cyberbullying or uh, being humiliated or embarrassed, high sensitivity to being threatened online. And then as they test the boundaries as they, with, with disrespectful behavior or they try new tricks at skateboard park, risk-taking, risk-taking moves to a whole new level 
at this stage of biological life. It makes, and then making them vulnerable to things like vaping or drugs and alcohol or sexual misbehaviors. Now, if that's a sample of what a biological preteen is facing, is there a parallel in spiritual growth? Well, I believe there is. And I believe that's what Paul was speaking to in the entire letter of 1 Corinthians. It's like the letter of 1 Corinthians is written about issues of adolescence and spiritual adolescence in particular. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 3, case in point, it addresses a spiritual preteen scenario. Imagine this. He says, brothers, I couldn't address you as spiritual, but as worldly, mere infants in Christ. It's like you're backing up, you know, you, you should be farther along, but now you're backing up. So I gave you milk, not solid food. You were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you're still not ready for it. You are still worldly. How does he know? Well, he says there's jealousy. There's quarreling among you. Are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? Now, Here's the scenario. They've known the Lord for some time. They've been following Jesus long enough that they should be feeding themselves. They have grown to the point where they should be eating solids and building kingdom muscle, but instead they're fighting with their sibling brothers and sisters in Christ, and they are picking sides and favorites when it comes to Christian leaders. Chapter 1 says that there were at least four groups that were comparing to each other and picking fights in the church. Some said this, oh, I follow Paul, you know, founder of the church. Others were saying, I follow Apollos. He was a powerful preacher. Oh, no, I follow Cephas. He was there with Jesus, right? Peter, Simon Peter. And others like this could be the super spiritual group say, no, I follow Christ. I don't, I don't want to follow what those human leaders are saying. So I'm thinking right here, first chapter of the letter, I'm thinking you may be a spiritual preteen if you should be feeding yourself solids by this time in your growth, but you're, you're acting like it's someone else's job to give you what you want. Or you could be a spiritual preteen if you tend to rate and rank Christian teachers or have a favorite in a way that is uh, divisive or competitive or perhaps makes you feel like you don't have to pay attention to other leaders. Instead of taking responsibility, here's a third indicator. Instead of taking responsibility for your own growth, you're still riding on somebody else's and making it their issue. I think Paul is offering those early in this letter as all of them as negative indicators that you may be in early spiritual adolescence. But there are also positive ones, tremendous positive indicators and learning milestones. And so for that, I think the greatest illustration that I found in the New Testament is in Dr. Luke's gospel, where he, uh, he shows us Jesus growing in uh, identity, community, and purpose and meaning, destiny, and giving answers to the questions, who am I, where do I belong, and what am I here to do? It's the story of Jesus at 12 years old, and he's going to Jerusalem with his parents for Passover feast, Luke chapter 2, verses 41 through 52. It's a rite of passage story, but in three parts. There's celebration, there's separation, and there's 
consecration. Actually, uh, Luke's, Luke's gospel shows us three rites of passages, and all three stories are happening here in three parts. The first one is for Israel, the second one is for Jesus, and the third one is for Jesus' family through Mary, and her story is woven in there too. Listen to the story. Every year his parents went to Jerusalem for the Feast of Passover. When he was 12 years old, preteen, they went up to the feast was according to their custom. And after the feast was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. I thought you had him. No, I thought he was with you. No, I thought he was. Well, when they didn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. And after three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them, asking them questions. And then everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. He was asking questions and offering perspective, answers. Well, when his parents saw him, they were astonished, and his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know? I had to be in my, my father's house. Literally, that reads, I must be in my father's things. I have to be in my father's things. But they didn't understand what he was saying to them. That sound adolescent, like, I just don't get this. Well, then he went down to Nazareth and was with them and was obedient to them. And his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus, Jesus grew in wisdom, in stature, in favor with God, favor with men. Now the story introduces us to Jesus at puberty, entering adolescence. But his rite of passage is placed directly parallel to uh, the nation Israel and to his own family through his mother Mary. Uh, Passover was the defining moment in Israel's identity, remember? making them, marking them as God's community, and then calling them to their destiny through whom God would reveal himself to the world. Now, the celebration noted their separation from the people of Israel. I'm talking about the celebration of the Passover feast. Separated from Egypt by the blood of the lamb that was placed on the doorposts, and then the Feast of Unleavened Bread immediately following the week after reminded them that they were to walk in consecration to God. They were supposed to walk with God into their future in quick obedience. Don't waste time, don't wait on bread to rise because of the yeast, it's unleavened bread. In other words, come with me now. Jesus' story is parallel to that one. That's the celebration going on and now Luke tells us this story right at the same time. Jesus' first mention of his clear awareness of his identity as God's son happens here. And then of his moving from simply receiving the care of his village and his parents as a child, he's now moving to a new level of choosing his own community and then finding his own voice in it. 
So it's a celebration of a coming of age, but it's also a separation from his biological parents. Mary in particular has separation anxiety over it, and she and Jesus have this exchange of why questions. You know, um, early teens and parents do that sometimes. Why did you treat me like this? Well, why were you searching for me? And why didn't you know where I would be? And then in the midst of that, Luke uses three very emotional words highly charged words, amazed, astonished, and anxious, anxiously. Amazed means stupefied, dumbfounded. Astonished means panicked, <laughs> panicked, frantic with panic. And then anxious means tormented with distress. Do those emotions sound like puberty to you? Like early adolescence to you in the celebration of Jesus' rite of passage was also a separation. Their little boy was no longer a boy, leading Mary to turn to her own heart care. This is where Luke says that she treasured these things in her heart. To treasure something is to set it apart. That's a definition of the word consecrate. Mary was stepping up into a new level of consecration before God here that her destiny personally didn't lie in raising the boy, but in releasing the man. So she would learn, as every parent must, how do you hold on while letting go? Jesus' destiny then, riding parallel with it, is also found in consecration as well. He said, my consecration is to my Father's things. I must be in my Father's things. Now, the, there are other times when Jesus uses this powerful word, must. He says, I must go through Samaria. He said, I, I must stay at the tax collector's house for lunch. I must suffer and die, be delivered up, crucified, and rise again. The Son of Man must suffer and then enter his glory. Must. The spirit within Jesus was compelling him, was defining his destiny. So what do we learn from this? Well, let me ask you, are you in your spiritual preteen years? Your, your period of spiritual preteen growth, how would you know that? Well, you are asking questions like this. Who am I, really? And then finding your identity in Christ. You're asking, where do I belong? And then finding the answer in your community of choice for growth. And then what am I here to do? Well, fulfill the destiny, fulfill your destiny in the will of God. But to go there, see, you're no longer a child. You're now stepping into these tween years. You're not quite an adolescent, but you're early on. And then in order to get there to that next level, you've got to step out of your spiritual childhood and start taking responsibility for doing the will of God with your life, your own choice, finding your own voice in doing it. Like, the writer of Proverbs says in Proverbs 9, 6, leave your simple ways and you will live. Walk in the ways of understanding. That's the invitation of the tween age years 
in the spirit. But now we're talking about adolescence. That's coming next week. That's the next stage where, where Luke concludes by saying Jesus grew, defines his entire adolescence in these words. Jesus grew in wisdom, stature, favor with God, favor with man. But now, if you think you may be experiencing your spiritual preteen life right now, you're probably also wondering, how do I step out of my spiritual childhood? You know, how do I rise to the next level? Well, part of it means following Christ and, and His voice to move to the next level. So the question is this, are you listening and obeying as you've been taught? See, obedience was the lesson of childhood, remember? So you learn how to listen to his voice and then obey it as you've been taught. But not just obeying the voices of people, but the voice of God. Because that's where God's will leads you next. Listening to God and obeying God. And then the question is this, are you connecting in mentoring relationships where you are interacting with the truths of God and not just receiving teaching, but making your thinking visible. You're asking your questions, you're discovering and clarifying God's answers, and then you're putting it in your own voice, just like Jesus does in this story. And then just like in biological early adolescence, you may find yourself, how do you know you may be in spiritual preteen years? You may find yourself in a new level of conflict with your spiritual parents. Maybe you don't even know exactly why, but because you're finding and now defining your own relationship with God. You're discovering that you, just, you don't just agree with what you've been taught, but now you're starting to ask why. I mean, why do we believe that? Why does it matter? And then you're owning the answers for yourself. You're finding your own voice and then stepping up into your destiny as it becomes clearer to you what truly following Christ and doing God's will means for your life. Now, parent, you may not think you're having impact on your child. Like Walter completely forgot that he had ever told that story to his son, but his son didn't forget. And preteen, you may think your parents are not really in it for your good. But now remember the story I told you about Walter, how his adult son reminded him of the story Walter told him when he was young, and he remembered. It is good. Now, this is the time for that to be revealed. Some of the stories that were told and embedded in the childhood of your spiritual life are now rising to be tested and proven in their worth for you. We're not, remember, we're, uh, we're not quite talking about spiritual adulthood yet, but we're not in our childhood anymore either. We're talking about the grapple between the two, the tween age that happens not only biologically, but also spiritually. And this is where we may, we start discovering that, uh, that we may disagree with people that we love and respect, but we can do it without dishonoring each other. See, when you're a child, you believe the Bible stories because that's what you were taught. But at this stage, you, you, you begin needing explanations. 
what does it mean and how does it work and why do we believe that, you know? So don't be afraid if that's where you are. It may feel like a crisis of faith, it's not. It's a normal part of growth, it's a growing pain as your cognitive, spiritual cognitive capacities grow so you can learn how to love God with all your mind. So expect it as you begin to own your faith for yourself, but also don't disrespect your spiritual parents in the process. They're growing too. So let God show you how to make room for everyone to grow and become more mature-ish. That's our series. We're all growing somewhere. That's God's desire for us. So every stage, remember this, every stage of your spiritual development builds on the previous one. So the lessons we learn there, we are to build on in the next stage. If you feel stalled, or stagnant in your growth, then I would suggest you just review the lessons that you have learned so far and then apply them. Not just keep them in your head, put them into action in your life. What lessons? Well, let's back up all the way. Have you truly been born of the Spirit? That's where it begins. A spiritual newborn receiving Christ's life by faith into your heart, into your spirit. Then the question is, have you received pure spiritual milk? This is infancy stage, where you are saturating in God's word and soaking it up and drinking it up, especially the New Testament. And then, that's infancy, have you been connected in a loving, life-giving embrace that encourages and affirms your value? Are you learning how to pray, to say your first words in the Spirit, to your heavenly father. That's toddler in group life with others, with other believers around you in the word where you're learning how to not just speak your first words, but take your first steps and learn how to start following Christ for yourself. Have you started to walk for yourself? Have you started to feed yourself? Have you started to dress yourself by obeying Christ's commands yourself? Remember the lesson of childhood is obedience by faith. That's childhood that you can do it yourself. But then as you do those things, guess what? You are now equipped to enter into your spiritual tween age toward adolescence, where you learn the lessons of identity, community, and destiny. Who am I? Where do I belong? And what am I here to do? Lord, lead me and I will follow. Would you pray with me now? Father, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for modeling it for us in Jesus Christ. Thank you for inviting us into the journey of life. And thank you that you have a plan for us, a vision for each one of us where we can build upon the lessons we've learned and grow into the person and the destiny that you have waiting for us. Thank you that greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. And I'm praying for somebody right now who has sensed your spirit calling them out, speaking to them personally. Friend, if that's you, would you say, yes, Lord, I'm listening, and yes, Lord, I'm willing. And once again, if you're saying, but I'm not willing, okay, well then make this your prayer. Lord, I'm not willing, tell the truth. 
but I'm willing to become willing, would you lead me to grow to be the person you would have me be? And perhaps today you're connecting with us, but know that you, you want to, you long to have the life of God in you. And he desires to give himself to you in the gift of salvation. If that's where you are today, then would you join me in this prayer? Jesus, come into my life. Forgive my sins. Fill me with your spirit and teach me how to turn from my way and learn to go your way for all that you have in store for me as I make my prayer in your name. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, please let us know. One of our pastors will tell you in a moment exactly how to do that. But we want to walk with you into the fullness of that journey as we invite his blessing upon you in Jesus' name. Amen.